Father God in heaven, you are a great and magnificent and almighty Father. Thank you, Father, for what we're fixing to celebrate in this season. The great sacrifice that Jesus made for us at Calvary and your resurrection from the dead. That we will celebrate on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, next Sunday, Lord. This week begins a very, many, many years ago, it's a very passionate week. And Lord, help us to just be like sponges when we open your word. And just help us to soak it in. Take us there by faith. Take us there in our hearts and minds. And let us see it afresh and anew this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time of fellowship. We thank you for your word. Just pray, God, that you just continue by your spirit to just take us forward. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, amen. 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 You may have a seat. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Paul will bring you a Bible. Turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 19. We're taking a break from our verse-by-verse study through uh, through, uh, 2 Corinthians. And this morning we're looking at, uh, um, at what the season's all about. The... The, the week of the passion of everything that Christ went through. Today, as we all know, is, is what? Palm Sunday. And we reflect on when uh, Jesus entered into Jerusalem on that cult. It was the beginning of a very intense week. But before we get into that, and the, and the theme of my message for today to you guys is this. Have you ever missed out on a huge opportunity? I guess you could call the title of my message this morning, Missed Opportunities. Missed Opportunities. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in life? Whether it's work or family or business or even spiritual things with God, you ever felt like you, 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 you missed out? I, I think about it. There's many times in my life where um, I felt like I missed a, a golden opportunity. When I grew up, as, as, as I was growing up, I was a huge Star Wars fan. I was a huge Star Wars fan. And I loved Han Solo. Okay? I loved Han Solo. I, my parents, we had a, a 20 acres of land out in Gaston. And I used to run around in the woods with my laser blaster. In my black pants and my black coat. And I was Han Solo with my friends. We were playing Star Wars. But I loved Han Solo. I, I was a huge Star Wars fan. In 1991, I joined the Navy. I left the National Guard, I joined the Navy, got shipped off to Great Lakes, Illinois, went to basic training. A week before graduation, a week before basic training graduation, um, these guys came in from Washington, D.C., the Honor Guard, and uh, they came in, they interviewed me, and asked me if I wanted to be a part of the Honor Guard in Washington, D.C. They do all the ceremonies, all the things at Arlington, they do um, all the presidential stuff, they're right there hand-in-hand with the president, and they offered me the job, they offered me the position, but I declined it. I declined it because I joined the Navy. I want to be a machinist, mate, and I want to be on a ship, and I want to be at sea. Well, sure enough, I got my wish. <laughs> I got my wish. I got put on an on a aircraft carrier, did two deployments. But anyway, going back to um, Star Wars and Han Solo, um, they came to me. They offered me the position to be on the Honor Guard in Washington, D.C. I declined it. In 1994, two year, three years later, I was in the Navy. I'm sitting there watching the movie uh, Clear and Present Danger. Clear and present danger with uh, Harrison Ford. And lo and behold, at the funeral scene, there is Jarvis. 
a guy I went to basic training with. I declined it. They offered it to Jarvis, and he took it. And who did I see in the movie? Jarvis, my basic training buddy, there in the movie scene with Harrison Ford. I could have been hanging with Harrison Ford. You know, David Ford, Harrison Ford. Come on, there's a, there's a little bit there. But it was a huge missed opportunity. It was, it was a huge missed opportunity, especially at, my, at the day and age then. I was like, I was always a huge fan of Han Solo, Harrison Ford, and I had a chance. But I missed it. I missed the opportunity. The Bible teaches us that we are to make the most of every opportunity. Do you know that? We're, we're to make the most of every opportunity. Hebrews 3.15 says this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Isaiah 55.6 says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. We're, we're, we're called to, to be proactive, to, to be vigilant, not only in life, but in our spiritual walk with God. We can't be lethargic. We can't be lazy. We've got to be proactive. We've got to be moving forward, and we've got to be letting the Holy Spirit lead our lives. Reasons that we miss opportunities uh, in the natural realm and spiritual realm is one is we're wasting time on things that don't matter. We're not connecting with the right people. We're not focused. You know, that's a big one, not, not being focused in life, not seeing what's clearly before you. And another one is not having faith, not having faith. And as Christians, we need to be filled with faith. We need to be filled with faith for what God is going to do in our lives and in our future. And, you know, I believe you pray, you seek the Lord, you pray, and then you open your eyes and you look for those opportunities where God is opening up a door. Just real quick, turn, look at verse 44. Just so you'll see where we're going with this passage. Luke um, 19, 44. This will be the very end of our passage that we read. But Luke 19, 44 says this. Talking about the people missing out on the opportunity of Jesus. It says, they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave you, leave in you one stone upon another. Look at this. Look at those words clearly. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. My friend, don't let this be you. Don't let this be you. Don't miss out on what God wants to do in your life. Be vigilant. Be faithful. Be pressing forward. Be in the word. Eyes open. Look clearly. These people, and this is huge. This is the triumphal entry. They did not recognize what was before them. Didn't recognize before them. Let that not be said of us. Let that not be said of us. Let us seize every moment that God places before us and let us serve him with all of our hearts in complete surrender. That's where he wants you. That's where he wants me. That's where he wants us in complete surrender. Let's pray, and then we'll look at, this morning we're looking at the triumphal entry, Luke 19, verses 28 through 44. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for um, the truth that's here. And Father, as we remember Palm Sunday and everything that was beginning to take place on that Sunday, um, help it sink into our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be like sponges as we read your word and help us to apply these truths to our life. In your name we pray, Lord God. Amen. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. After he had said these things, he was going on ahead. 
going up to Jerusalem, when he approached Bethpage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet. Now, first thing you need to understand is what's taking place. This is the beginning of the Passion Week. And like never seen, like never seen before in the life of the disciples, in the life and the ministry of Jesus, tensions were mounting. They were huge. I'm going to share with you in the message. I'm going to, there's really four different categories of people in this message. Uh, all four Gospels record uh, the triumphal entry. And there's lessons to be learned from each one of these guys because they all have a different response. But tensions are mounting. It's Passover week. Josephus says there, was, there could have been over three million people gathered in Jerusalem at this time. It was very crowded. Over 256,000, they estimate, scholars estimate, over 250,000 lambs were being sacrificed that week. It was a huge festival. There was lots of people. And here comes Jesus. Here comes the disciples. They're coming towards Jerusalem. The disciples' expectations were very high. Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Mary had just been anointed. The religious leaders, what were they doing? They were plotting his death. We want to put this Nazarene to death. We're tired of this, and it's time to put an end to him. A showdown was forming. A showdown. If anything, as you, as you reflect on this week and you look at it this week, the Passion Week, a showdown was getting ready to take place between the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and tradition and religion. Think about it. We're one week, Christianity, we're one week away from Christianity. The death and the resurrection of Jesus. This message is fixing to transform the entire world. It's, it's the reason why we're here this morning. It, it, was, it was fixing to transform the world. So there was Jesus, the Son of God, versus the tradition and the religion of the Pharisees and the religion of the people. There was another showdown. It was the Son of God versus the forces of darkness. You know, I can't help but to wonder what it was like that Passion Week in the spiritual realm. I would, I would tend to believe that like we've never seen before in history or ever in the future, spiritual warfare was at an all-time high that week. The prophecy of Genesis 3.15 is on the edge of being fulfilled where Jesus strikes the head of Satan and crushes him by his death on the cross. But spiritual warfare had been at an all-time high. I believe Mel Gibson, I like in his movie The Passion, he puts that demon in there. And I, and I, and I believe that could, there's a lot of truth to that. Because that week, like never seen before, the forces of hell, the forces of darkness, Satan and demons, they are on the verge of being crushed. They are on the verge of losing all their power. Their time and their days are numbered because Christ is going to go to the cross and he is going to defeat them. So spiritual warfare is at an all-time high. And the first thing we see in the text here is, is what I love about this passage is Jesus is going to show who's in charge. Look at verse um, 29, halfway through verse 29. Well, verse 29. When he approached Bethage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you, 
There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. Man, I love this part of scripture. I love this part because it, what does it show? It shows that Jesus is in complete control. And we need to remember that he is the sovereign Lord. That he is the sovereign creator. And in this text of taking control of the situation and having these, his disciples go and get these donkeys and this colt and bringing it back. By the way, how many, how many animals did he bring back? Two. Four gospels. Three Gospels say it was one. Matthew says it was two. Matthew was making the point that it was a fulfillment of prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. There was actually two animals brought back. But the other three Gospels were making an emphasis that Jesus rode in on one. But there was actually uh, two that were brought in according to the Gospel of Matthew. But Jesus is in complete control. He is the sovereign Lord. And in this passage right here we see uh, him and his deity. He's exercising his omniscience. He's, he's exercising his sovereignty. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that when we go through difficult and trying times. We need to remember that when we go through difficult and trying times. That the Lord Jesus Christ is the sovereign Lord. Paul said in Timothy, he says, Who alone is immortal, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be glory and dominion throughout all the ages. And he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the sovereign Lord. He is the sovereign God. And we see him exercising his, his, his um, dominion and authority throughout all the Gospels. What did they say whenever he settled the, the winds and the waves? He, he, the, the disciples said, even the winds and the waves obey him. He was always in complete control. There was never a point in Jesus' ministry where, whoa, things are getting out of control. I don't know what's going on. It was never like that. He was in complete control. The people that aren't in control is us, is human beings. We are the ones. They're like, whoa, what's happening in life? I don't understand. But Jesus is the sovereign Lord. He's a sovereign God. And we need to remember that when we go through difficult and trying times when things are happening. We need to hold on to that anchor, hold on to that cornerstone. We need to remember that. Verse 35, it says, They brought it to Jesus. And they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it as he was going. And they were spreading their coats on the road. I sent out an email this week. I said, I want to talk about what is the purpose. What is the purpose of the triumphal entry? What is the meaning behind it? What is the theological, um, what is the theological meaning behind the triumphal entry? Twofold. Twofold. First, it was a fulfillment of prophecy. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey was a fulfillment of prophecy. Let's look at Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. This was a prophecy, an Old Testament prophecy, written many, many years before Christ, that spelled out his life, 
There are over 350 Old Testament prophecies that point to the Messiah. You could take the Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus and you could put almost the entire life of Christ together. You could, you could lay out his life, his ministry, his deeds, his works, his resurrection, his death. You could lay out everything by the, from the Old Testament. Micah 5.2 teaches that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 7.14 to be born of a virgin. You want to know about the details of the crucifixion? Go study Psalms 22 gives graphic details. Some of these details that we find in the Old Testament aren't even mentioned in the New Testament. So when you put these Old Testament prophecies of Jesus, especially concerning his death, with the New Testament, and you put them together, oh, it brings a magnificent picture of the passion of Christ. That word passion, by the way, it's not the same definition that we have today. Today we think passion, we think someone who's zealous for something. We think about someone who just wants something really good. But in, scripturally speaking, passion talks about the suffering of Christ. But when you put it all together, it's beautiful. His suffering, great details are given of his suffering in Isaiah uh, chapter 50. Isaiah uh, 53, uh, Genesis 3.15, the very first announcement that the Messiah would come and destroy Satan. 350 prophecies plus. These are 350 major prophecies. There's lots of minor details in the Old Testament that give us details of the life and the ministry of Lord Jesus. But you got to understand, the Old Testament saints, they looked forward to the Messiah and to his work on the cross. We today, we look back at his great sacrifice we made, trusting in him. So the first purpose of the triumphal entry was to fulfill prophecy, to show this, that God is going to be faithful to his word, that God is going to be faithful to his word. Everything that is written in this book is a promise of God to us. And every, there's not one dot, not one line, not one verse that he will not be faithful to because it's his word. The second reason, the second reason, uh, the purpose behind uh, the, the triumphal entry, I'm not talking about the cross yet, the cross we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Friday night and the resurrection on Sunday morning, but the second reason was to, to, to reveal the mission of God, to reveal the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pull up Zechariah 9.9, let's look at this verse one more time, talking about this is one of those situations where you go back to the Old Testament prophecy and it gives you greater understanding of what's taken place in a prophetic event in the New Testament. But this, this reveals a lot. This reveals a lot. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Now here we go. He's going to describe the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll come back. We're doing the second half of the verse where it says he is just. We're doing the second half of the verse first. First it says, the Messiah is just. The Hebrew word is sadek. It means he is the righteous one. The Lord Jesus Christ, he was the righteous one coming in on a donkey, 
to reveal the righteousness of God. He was the just and righteous one. He is the one that was holy, that was pure, that was perfect. He revealed the righteousness of God to us. And we participate of that righteousness by trusting in Jesus Christ. So he is just. It means he is righteous. Um, second part, next part of the verse says, and endowed with salvation. Jesus came to save sinners. He didn't come for the righteous, the holier than thou. He came for people who needed a savior. He came for people who needed forgiveness. He came for people who were broken in heart, wrecked by the sin of this world, and wanted a new life, wanted a a, a new heart. He's endowed with salvation, and he desires to give that salvation to men, all men and women that will repent, turn from their sins, and put their trust in Jesus Christ. So he's just, he's righteous, he's endowed with salvation. This, this servant Jesus coming in to Jerusalem on a donkey. And then it says, he is humble. What a beautiful word to describe the God of the universe. What a beautiful word to describe God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was humble. He came as a servant. He came as a servant to serve the people. That was his job, to serve people. He came to this world to serve you. He came to this world to serve me. He came to service salvation. And what is the the, the greatest picture of knowing how he served you and how he loved you? It's what we're looking at Friday night, the cross. To make a way so that you and I could be forgiven. And have this new life. So he is just. Jesus is just. He's the righteous one. According to Zechariah 9.9. He's endowed with salvation. He came to save sinners. He's humble. He came as a servant. Now, it's very important that we look at the first half of that verse. Because it's like a bold prophetic statement that all these people had in their Old Testament scriptures. He says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout and triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, behold, your king is coming to you. He's making a statement to them. Behold, your king is coming to you. This one who is just, who's endowed with salvation, who is humble, he's coming to you, O Israel. And this is where they failed. This is where they missed the mark. This is where they missed the mark. They were so focused on the outer realm. They were so focused on the physical realm. They were so focused on uh, being liberated from the tyranny of Rome that they forgot that they needed a new heart. They, 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 They needed a new heart. There was a young boy running through the woods with his friends. They're running through the woods. It's dark. They can't hardly see. Little boy falls falls on a pitchfork. Pitchfork goes into his neck. The ambulance has come. They rush him to the emergency room. They rush him to the emergency room. He's, he's alive, but they're rushing him to the emergency room. As they're wheeling him in on the gurney, 
the, um, the little boy looks up at the doctor and says, Doctor, my boo-boo, my boo-boo, it hurts. Please fix my owie. Please fix this thing that's wrong with me. What does the doctor do? He pushes that boo-boo aside and says, I've got to deal with what's life-threatening. I've got to deal with your heart. Many times we come to Christ. We want him to fix our life. We want him to fix things, to work things out with our children, to work things out in our job, to help us in the physical realm. And a lot of times when people come to Christ, he'll push those boo-boos aside and say, let's do heart surgery first. Let's work on, our, let's work on your heart first. Let me, let me peel back this other I'll take care of your marriage. I'll take care of your children. I'll take care of all these things. But let me work on that which is taking the life out of you. Let me work on your heart. Question for you this morning. Have you beheld the king? He told him, he says, behold, your king is coming to you. Have you, will you, behold the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Will you behold him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind? He desires that you know him intimately, that you know him as your Lord, that there is this deep inner love inside your heart and your mind that says, Lord Jesus, I love you more than anything. I, I'm devoted to you. I'm committed to you. I love you. I love your word. I love the things about you, God. And, and out of that love, out, out, out of that love and that commitment, God, I want to obey you. I want to obey you. And just as you have served me greatly on the cross, I want to turn around and serve you with my life. That is the heart of the Father. That is the heart of the Lord. Have we beheld the king, as Zechariah 9.9 was telling these Israelites? So there you have it. There was the purpose. The purpose of the triumphal entry, one was to reveal prophecy, and two was to reveal his mission. Verse 37. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. We, you know, we have to ask the question, what were they expecting? What were they, what were they looking for? You, you look at, this is when you look at all four gospels, man. Uh, they call him the king of Israel. The other gospels, they cry out, Hosanna. Uh, they spread out their coats. They laid their palm branches. The word Hosanna, it means save us Here's the key word, now. That's what Hosanna means. Save us now. And here in the Gospel of Luke, he says in verse 38, Blessed is the king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. Save us now, Lord. We're laying out our coats. We're laying out our palm branches. What did they want? What were they, what, the question was, what were they expecting? They were expecting freedom from the tyranny of Rome. They wanted to be liberated in the physical realm. And God says, before you're liberated in the physical realm, before I take care of things on the outside, i got to take care of things on the inside. And all at the same time, I believe the spiritual warfare is taking place. Like never, ever, ever seen before. The forces of darkness versus the Son of God. They only, 
the people could only see the physical realm. They did not understand the prophecy. They needed to understand that first, you got to have a new heart. you got to have a new heart. If anything, Christianity starts in the heart. It does not start in, in the outer works and conforming our life to a religious standard that can be seen by outward appearance. But it starts with the heart. What did you expect when you came to Christ? You know, many people come to Christ, oh God, I need this, I need that, I need my marriage, I need my children, I need, I need help with this, I need help with this. And he pushes those things aside and says to you first, let's deal with your heart. Let's deal with your heart. Let's get your heart in the right place. Let's get your heart right before me. Let my Holy Spirit come and dwell inside of you. Let me begin to make you a disciple of me. And then we'll focus on those other things in life. You know, we, Jesus is not a magic genie. He's not someone that we go to and, and rub the outside of the base and say, come help, come fix this. And he, he operates at our command. No, that's not how it works. You've got to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's got to be living on the inside, dwelling on the inside, working on the inside. And then out of that, out of that relationship, he begins to work on your attitude. He begins to work on your language. He begins to work on your relationships. But it's only after the inside part has taken place first, only after our hearts. Verse 39 says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I love this. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. We need to understand this concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus. Everything in creation, everything in creation points to Jesus. Whether it's a thundercloud storming over the city of Columbia, and those big bellowing clouds and lightning striking, and we see it, we're like, Wow, that's awesome and that's magnificent. Or, have you ever walked across the Lake Murray Dam and seen that beautiful sunset and that golden sun shooting across the glen of Lake Murray and thought, wow, that is so beautiful. That, who's behind that? The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the creator. He is the creator of the universe. He is deity. He is God. And all creation, all creation points to him. Psalms 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and all those who dwell in it. It all points to him. Psalms 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There's no language, there's no voice where his voice is not heard through creation. It points to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It points to God. This is why Jesus deserves your obedience and your surrender because not only did he, is he, is he, uh, he die on the cross for your sins, not only did he rise from the dead, but he's the creator. He's the creator. He's the one that formed you. He's the one you say, wow, I'm so glad I exist. I'm so, I'm so glad I have life. Guess who you can thank for that? the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the final question I want to pose to you this morning as we look at the text 
is this. Was it a triumphal entry? Um, in the NASB, the four Gospels, three of the Gospels um, give it the heading, the triumphal entry. One of the Gospels just says the entry into Jerusalem. Well, those little caption headings were just put there by, by the people who um, translated the Bible. Those are not inspired. Those are, they read the chapter and they put a title. But many people call this the triumphal entry. And my question to you is, was it a triumphal entry? Was it a triumphal entry? Triumph means victory. Triumph means, cel- triumph means celebration. It means victory. It means we won. The battle's over. It's time for the celebration. It's time for the party. So go into Jerusalem and throw down and have a party and shout for joy. Was it a triumphal entry? Let's see what the text says. Verse 41. Our minds need to be fixed on this picture of verse 41. Verse 41. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He wept over the people's response. Jesus wept. This was... This was no triumphal entry. They need to redo those captions and and, and call it a tearful entry. A tearful entry. Israel, they failed to recognize him. And this breaks the heart of God. This breaks the heart of God when people fail to recognize him. When people fail to, Zechariah 9-9, behold him. When people fail to behold the Lamb of God. When people fail to not see it. Their hearts and minds aren't open. It breaks the heart of God because Jesus is weeping. They were so close. They were so close, but they missed the mark. Their eyes weren't open. Here it is. Many people like to say, man, I wish I could have lived back in the Bible times. Have you ever heard that? I wish I could have seen Jesus with my own physical eyes. I wish I could have been there. What, what would your response been? I have a feeling our response would be a lot like theirs was. Because we have the same issues that they do. You know, we operate in our carnality. We operate in our flesh. We don't see things as they are spiritually. So close. There's no joy in heaven when people reject God. Let me just say that. There's no joy in heaven when people reject the Lord or they miss the opportunity. Listen to Ezekiel 33, 11. I'm going to give you an Old Testament verse and a New Testament verse. Talking about there's no joy in heaven when people reject God. Ezekiel 33, 11 says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. He says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. God wants to give people life. He wants to give them life and life more abundant. He wants all men to experience the joy that comes from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. New Testament verse. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for 
not, here it is, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Very clear, not wishing for any to perish, but for all. That word all means all. All come to repentance. That's the heart of God, that people come to know him as their personal Lord and Savior. And it was the same for these people as the same is today. That is the heart of God, is for people to know him as their Lord and Savior. To be, as Zechariah 9, 9 says, I'm gonna, you might hear me say it a couple more times, it's to people to behold the Lamb of God, to behold him. What does it mean to behold, to behold the Lamb of God? To behold the Lord Jesus Christ. It means you do what the scripture says. You come to a place in your life where you repent. You apologize to God for your sin. And you turn away from it. And you say, God, I'm done with this old sinful life. And then you turn in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you embrace him. And he embraces you by putting his Holy Spirit in you. Amazing. That's his, that's his plan. That's his desire for all people. Let's wrap this up. Verse 42. There's consequences. There's consequences for rejecting the Messiah, for rejecting Christ. Verse 42, saying, If you had known this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you up on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Because here it is, guys. This is where they missed the mark. He says, you. He's talking about them. He says, you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And we all know what Titus and the Romans did in 70 AD. They came in. They laid Jerusalem flat. They ransacked them. Israel was no longer a nation. Hasn't been a nation for almost 2,000 years until their rebirth in the 1940s. But they, it says, you did not recognize the time of your visitation. God visited them. God visited them. The God of the universe who created the Milky Ways and created the galaxies and created everything and all that we know, he came down and visited them. Humble. Humble on a donkey. Here's what I want to close with. A couple thoughts I want to close with. When will we see, when will you and I see that Jesus is everything we need? When will we get to that point? When will we get to a point where we say, God, you are enough. Lord Jesus, you in my life is enough for everything. You completely satisfy my heart. You completely satisfy who I am. You being in my life. When will we get to that point? The, the people in our text, they wanted a warrior king on a white stallion. That's what they wanted. They got a carpenter on a donkey. The people in, these, in, 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 in our passage, they wanted freedom from the tyranny of Rome. But Jesus was freedom from the bondage of sin.
these people and the people at this time, they wanted a prophet. They wanted a prophet to come. Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophets. They wanted an earthly ruler. And what did they get? They got God. They got God, the king of the universe. Zechariah 9.9. Again, I'm going to go back there again. Will you behold your king? Will you behold your king or will, or, or, or will, or will Christ, Christ weep? Some people, some, some, some Bible teachers try to make a separation between the people waving the palm branches and the people into the triumphal entry into where Jesus came up on the hillside and he looked and he saw Jerusalem and he wept over Jerusalem. Some people try to say that, well, these people were celebrating. They were embracing Christ, um, the people that were surrounding him in the triumphal entry, whereas some people say, well, no, it was just, just Jerusalem. But um, if you put all four of the Gospels together, if you go study all four Gospels, here's the picture it paints. In John 12, chapter 12, verse 16, it says the disciples were confused. The disciples were confused. They did not understand what was going on. Um, John 12, 18, it says that the people that were coming and singing the praises, it says that uh, John 12, 18, they were hoping to witness the supernatural. They were, they were coming with the expectation, oh, here comes Jesus. Let's, let's see another supernatural act. Because what, ha- what had happened the week before? He raised Lazarus from the dead. There was no doubt that that word got out, and they were hoping to see another miracle. Matthew chapter 21, verses 9 through 11, it says that they, 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 the multitudes were, um, were dazzled. They were like, wow, wow, we got to check this out. It's one of those situations where you're like, I don't know what's going on over there, but I got to go see what all the ruckus is about. I got to go see what's going on. There. I got to see what's happening. And then uh, in our text this morning, Luke 19, 39, it says that the, uh, the Pharisees were belligerent. They were belligerent. We're coming upon many churches today around the planet in monasteries and cathedrals and in Rome and all over the world. Millions upon millions of people will go to these places of worship. They will sing songs. Some will observe. But my, my question, as I thought about all the gatherings that's going to take place this week, is who will Christ weep over? You know, it's great that we gather to sing songs. It's, it's great that we gather to remember what he did for us. But the most important thing and all that is not that we participate, but that we give our hearts to him. That we give our hearts in complete surrender to Jesus. Let's, let's be a people. And my prayer, my hope for people is, is they give their heart and life to Christ. And on top of that, they celebrate the Savior. They sing Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It is a very celebratory song, but it also, it all starts with a heart. Missed opportunities. Don't let it be us. Don't let it be you. Be vigilant in your faith. Eyes, praying, 
walking in faith. And when you pray for something, open your eyes. I mean, I, 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 I'll be the first to admit it. There's times where, you know, I seek the Lord and I've prayed about something. And then God will answer. And, and I'll call it, Rick, you are not going to believe what happened. As if it wasn't going to happen. God answers prayer. God opens doors. And we just got to be mindful of his visitation and, and, and open our hearts to him. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, help us to be mindful and not miss opportunities that you open in our lives. Help us to follow you. Help us to step through those open doors that you open. And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, help our hearts and our minds to be open and let our eyes be open to see the things that you're doing in our life today. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for the, the triumphal entry and what we've seen in it, Lord God, and, and what took place that day. So we love you, God, and we praise you and we thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.